If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus chapter 20 again, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. Our focus today is going to be on verse 14, but we are going to read uh, starting in verse 1. And it seems like a really long time ago, but when all this stuff with the pandemic started, we were in the midst of a study we were doing on the Ten Commandments. Hopefully you remember uh, some of the stuff that we talked about. we got gotten through the first table of the law. You remember that really the, the Ten Commandments are broken up into two tables, I guess you'd say, two groups. There's one group which deals primarily with our uh, relationship with God. So in the first table you have uh, things like, have no other gods before me, don't have idols, honor the, the Sabbath, so on and so forth. And then there's the second table of the law that deals primarily with our relationship with other people. And so you have things like, honor your father and mother and don't murder and, and so on and so forth. And you might remember that I've talked about that in the New Testament, somebody came to Jesus one day and they said, what is the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is really a summation of all, the, uh, of all of the law. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, that is really a summation of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? The first table is love God. And the second table of commandments is how to love one another. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start off in uh, Exodus 20 and verse 1. And we're going to focus in on adultery. In particular, don't do it. Okay, it's, it's really short, straight to the point, easy to understand. It doesn't require a lot of explanation, just mainly uh, living it out in, in application. So if you found Exodus 20 and you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me to honor God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read all Ten Commandments. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who, who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thank you. You may be seated. So as I say, we're going to focus in on verse 14, the prohibition against adultery. And we all know what adultery is, so I'm not going to spend uh, a lot of time defining it because, again, uh, we know what it, what it is, what it means. But why is this a bad thing? That's the real question, isn't it? Why is this prohibition against adultery even there? What is bad about adultery? We understand that the context of this command is really based in creation itself. 
You remember back in, in, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus ruffled a lot of feathers. And he got a lot of people upset with him. And so some of the religious leaders one day, they decided to try and trip him up and get him on the horns of a dilemma. And so they said, uh, teacher, is it lawful to, to divorce a, a man's wife for any reason at all? And what did Jesus say? He didn't say, well, this rabbi says this and this rabbi says that. Uh, he doesn't say, just figure it out, just go with the cultural norms. He doesn't do any of that. What does he say? He says, you guys are, are missing the boat. God's fo- focus is not on divorce. His focus is on marriage. And so he looks back all the way back to the, the, to the Garden of Eden. And he says, this is God's plan for marriage. One man and one woman for one lifetime. He doesn't, put, he doesn't spell it out exactly like that. But that's basically what he says. One man and one woman for one lifetime. And anything outside of that, whether it be uh, men with men, women with women, uh, multiple partners, any of that stuff is outside the bounds of what God has ordained. One man and one woman. And so he lays that out as the ideal. That is what God has ordained. Now, there may be exceptions to that rule. For instance, if somebody decides to forego marriage and devote themselves totally to God, uh, Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 7. But the general rule is for marriage to be a lifelong union between a man and a woman. Now, it's patently obvious in the last several years there's been a transformation. Not in God's standards, but in the world's standards. There's been a transformation when it comes to uh, the, the culture of America's ideas of purity and chastity and marriage and all those things that go along with it. The world is different. But just because the world is different doesn't mean God's standards are different. God's standards are the same whether America or any other country obeys them or not. God's standards have not changed from what they were when Jesus walked the earth. An anchor does not stop holding fast because the boat disconnects itself from it. The anchor still holds fast, but the boat gets dashed on the rocks. That's what we see happening in our world today. Families and and people are dashed upon the rocks of, well, all kinds of sexual immorality and promiscuity and, and perversion. And that's what we see all around us. So, so adultery, according to the Bible, is not a fling. Adultery, even though we like, to, we like to, to redefine things, don't we have a different word for for what the Bible does? It's not an affair. Adultery, according to the Bible, is a sin. But the spirit of the command doesn't just speak of situations in which one or both of the partners is married. Because that's what adultery is, right? One or both of the partners are married to somebody besides the, per, the person with whom they're having that relationship. The wording that's used in verse 14 specifically speaks of breaking the marriage vow. But Jesus in the New Testament expands it out. And he shows us the spirit of the command isn't just if there's somebody that is, is uh, uh, one of the parties is married. But he talks about all sexual sin. And he uses the term uh, fornication is, is, the term, is the English word that the Bible uses. Um, the Greek word is the word porneia. Porneia. And so in Matthew chapter 15, for instance, he talks about things that defile a person. He says the things that defile a person are not forbidden food. It's not eating food with unwashed hands. It's not the stuff that goes into a person that defiles a person. It's that which comes out of a person, out of the heart. That is what defiles a person. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. And I want you to listen because he works his way through some of these commandments in order. And notice that he links adultery 
and fornication. He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. So the letter of the law, as it is in Exodus uh, chapter 20, deals specifically with the sin of adultery. But Jesus shows us that the spirit of the, of the law covers all types of sexual sin. Now, again, this is not new to him. Um, all the way back when the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when that was, when that was translated, about 200 B.C., the translators, when, when they were rendering the Hebrew into English, the word that they often used to speak of all manner of sexual sin was porneia, fornication. Now, the, the Septuagint was the Bible that the apostles used. That's the one that they quoted from most of the time whenever they quoted Scripture in the writings. Now, if you, want to, if you want a list of some of the things that that would include, just look at Leviticus 18, because that's going to give a list of the things that would have been in the first century Jewish mind of what would fall into this category. So the spirit of the command covers premarital as well as extramarital sexual relationships. Okay, so the first thing that I want you to see is that, uh, is that this, this command is rooted in creation. And this message of, 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 about adultery and fornication it doesn't just occur every once in a while. This is the consistent message that we see all throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. So, so we have the example in Genesis Jesus referred to. We have Jesus' command whenever he's talking about marriage, and he says, what God has joined together, what? Let no man put asunder. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, the, the author says, marriage is to be held in, uh, excuse me, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, there's the link again, God will judge. Now you may have noticed that the wording got a little bit more severe, didn't it? It talks about judgment. And the reason for that is because, according to the Bible, this type of behavior is indicative of someone who is not a Christian. Someone who is not saved. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, Paul writes, Now, these, now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, there's that word porneia again, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that means you're not going to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, there's that word porneia again, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if a person's life is characterized by these things, that shows they're not really saved. But he goes on in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, such were some of you. He was writing to people who had been involved in this type of lifestyle. He said, this, these are the types of people who weren't going to heaven, but God. But God, such were some of you. But God intervened. But such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. See, adultery and fornication, they are serious matters. They are sin. But there is forgiveness for those things. 
and that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. Now, if those things describe any of us today, you can be forgiven if you'll trust in Christ for salvation. Trusting Christ alone for salvation. Now, we need to move on. Where, where does all this start? Jesus says that these things come from the heart. And I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But adultery starts in the heart. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says, You have heard it was said, You should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so again, Jesus highlights the fact that sin is not just merely an external thing. Even if we refrain from doing the actual act, there's still an attitude of the heart that God's concerned with. That's where all these things begin with. That's like with murder. What did Jesus say? He said that murder starts in the heart as anger. Anger is murder in seed form. If it, just, if it gives enough time, if it has the right conditions, that's what's going to come out in action. And likewise, this adultery starts in the heart. It starts as lust. Lust is adultery in seed form. Now, what is lust? <coughs> Excuse me. Lust is an inordinate desire for something or someone. It doesn't have to refer to a person. It can refer to an, uh, an object. Somebody has something and you really want it. There can be lust. There can be coveting after that thing. But as it refers to uh, uh, people, it refers to having a desire for someone that you shouldn't, that, that's not yours. Now, recognizing that somebody is attractive is not lust. Saying, oh, that, that is a, a pretty woman or that is a handsome man, that is not lust. It becomes lust when we have a desire that is inappropriate. It's misdirected affection. It's a desire for something that's not our own. It's trying to fulfill or wanting to fulfill a legitimate need or desire in an illegitimate way. And so Jesus says that adultery starts out as lust. So what do we do about this? How do we, how do we handle lust? How do we handle adultery? Well, I'm going to quote a famous theologian from yesteryear, Barney Fife. <laughs> he was a goofy guy, but he had some wisdom here. Here's what he said, not specifically about adultery. He said, nip it in the bud. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Nip it in the bud. That's good counsel. That's biblical counsel. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality see lust is not a physical action but lust can lead to a physical action and therefore when we recognize that we're experiencing that we need to nip it in the bud we need to stop it in its tracks we need to flee immorality if we realize that we're coveting after someone or something we need to stop it now that's easier said than done isn't it because when we're in the midst of a temptation whether it's this or any other temptation we have a desire, even though we, in a, deep in our hearts we don't want to do that sin, but our flesh really wants to. Right? I'm not the only one that has this, right? We, we can identify with Paul when he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. All of us can identify with that if we're Christians. Because there's a part of us, the, the, the saved part, 
that says, I want to follow God's law, but then there's the flesh that says, let me sin. Right? John MacArthur, in one of his books, has likened the flesh to a traitor that's within the city, uh, within the castle walls, that when the enemy starts to attack, lowers the drawbridge. And I thought that was a powerful picture because that's what we experience because there, there's war within. We want to do what God wants. We want to please God, but then there's a part of us that's drawn to doing the wrong thing. The flesh, that unsanctified part of us. And so it's easy to say we need to stop it in its tracks when we're not experiencing it. It's something else whenever we're going through it. And again, this doesn't just refer to uh, lust. It can refer to any temptation. So what, how, what are some ways that we can fight against those things? Well, it may just be as simple as having a change of scenery. Mo- physically moving to a different location. Getting out from behind the computer screen. Getting out from certain people's presence. Having a change of view. Having a change of scenery. Being around certain people. Somebody said, if you don't want to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. If you know that you're, that, that if you're around a certain uh, person or group of people, if you're in a certain situation that, that, that you stumble in your walk with God, avoid those things. And this is practical stuff. How easy is it when maybe you have somebody you're spending a lot of time with, somebody of the opposite sex, maybe it's somebody at work, you're going to lunch with them, stuff like that, and you're going alone, don't do it. That's, that's easy, right? Just don't do it. Or don't eat lunch. Brown bag it. Eat there at work. Don't go, don't be hauling people around that's the, uh, of the opposite sex that's not your spouse. Saves their reputation, saves yours too. I mean, the, the, this is not rocket science, but how easy is it to just pass that along? To, to, to just get on past that? Say, well, I'll just do it this one time. I don't want to offend somebody. All you have to do, you may offend them. But you know what? It would be better to, to have somebody offended than to get in that situation. This is a serious matter, and God's word is not silent on the issue. On the negative side, God says, don't engage in that type of activity. Don't engage in that lifestyle. On the positive side, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, so here is, here is, an area of sanctification that we know is God's will. This is, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's not ambiguous. It means don't shack up and don't hook up. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit fornication. Premarital or extramarital activity is forbidden. As I said before, this is a serious matter. The Bible says if you participate in that, if that is your lifestyle, you should be concerned about the condition of your soul. Because he says the people who are involved in that will not inherit the kingdom of God. I read it. I didn't come up with it. Listen, God has instituted marriage as the confines for that physical union. That union is good in the right place and the right time. It's a serious matter, but it's not an unforgivable matter. There is forgiveness in Jesus. If you've committed adultery, you can be clean today. 
You can be washed whiter than snow. If you'll repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. Or maybe, maybe you haven't gotten to that point. You haven't gotten to the point of action. But listen, we need to stop that, that forward progression in its tracks. Are you spending too much time with somebody you shouldn't be? Are you looking at things you shouldn't be? Are you, are you surrounding yourself with people that are going to help build you up? Because the Bible says that, that bad company, what does it do? Corrupts good morals. And if you think that the people you surround yourself don't have any effect on you, you're wrong. If you're headed down that path, you need to stop, make the necessary changes, and pray for the Spirit of God to help you and to strengthen you in those areas. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. With nobody looking around, I just I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. But we all know what goes on in our hearts. We all know what goes on nobody else sees or knows about. There is forgiveness in Jesus. We don't deserve it, but it's a gracious gift. We can't earn it. It's already been purchased. Maybe you're involved in stuff you shouldn't be involved in. Stop. Pray that God would help you in that. Say, Pastor, I've already failed so many times in this area. Ask forgiveness. If you're a Christian, you're not going to be perfect in any area of life. You're going to have sin. You're going to have shortcomings and failings. But the Bible says that if we'll confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin. And it may be that you need to accept that forgiveness that God gives. It's under the blood. Learn your lesson. Don't do it again. But you got to move on. Live a life that pleases God. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us in this area to not be adulterers, 
to not be fornicators, to not be lustful. And God, if there's somebody who's uh, done some of that, that's involved in that, that find themselves wrapped up in in uh, situations they know are going to inflame their lust and desires, God, I pray that you'd help each of us to repent of that. And God, we pray for strength for each one of us in our areas of weakness to live lives that please you. And God, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.